He ha te mea nui o te ao, he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. What is the most important thing? It's people, it's people, it's people. He mihi tēnei ki a koutou katoa e are mai o koutou taringa ki te hōtaka nei a te ahikā. I'm Mariah Rakaraku. And I'm Justine Murray and this is Te Ahikā, giving you an insight into Māori people, places and stories. There's a fallacy that you hear every now and then. Māori are only good at team sports and Māori don't like science. Well, the pass rates of Māori and Pacific science students at Auckland University would say otherwise, according to Professor Michael Walker, who, for the past 20 or so years, has advocated the Tuakana Mentoring Scheme. When we began, we might have been getting one or two graduates a year. Now we get them in bunches. When the Tuakana program started, within six weeks, teachers of the first-year laboratories started to tell me that this was making a difference. And, you know, so within six weeks, we used to lose two-thirds of those students in the first month after enrolment. But when we got to the first assessment at uh, six weeks in, um, that they were doing well. And that uh, what we'd done was we'd made, achieved social attachment of the students to the university and to the discipline. And once they felt attached and connected and part of it and felt they belonged, then in fact they um, they really started to do well, and it was it really was thrilling. The uh, in that very first year, to we got a bunch of students into medicine, and um, which was will have made a lot of families happy. There's a natural disaster. The civil defence springs into action, and so too could the local marae. There is ten marae or 12 in our group here. We have a noho every month and look at things, but this is the first training noho per se. Uh, but we've we're now brought on, uh, Joe got in touch with Southern Hospitality, yeah, yeah. and they are providing their designer and engineer expertise um, about siting water tanks on Marae property and how to connect the gases and the different other facilities that will require, such as storage of diesel for the generators on each marae when we don't have to then rely on the mains power. Remember this? Well, if you were anywhere near a radio in the 1990s or the sound shell in Rotorua at the Blue Light Disco, you may remember Marie Sheehan, the long-haired, was it a spiral perm singer? Well, in the series kicking off tonight, we tracked down Māori, yep, stay by your telephone, who were once in the limelight. If you have any suggestions, drop us an email at tiahika at radionz.co.nz. I'm Maraia Rakraku. And I'm Justine Murray, and that's what we have coming up in tonight's broadcast. Te Aika, Radio New Zealand National. When I was looking at subjects to study at university, let's just say I wasn't encouraged to look at science. Now that was over 20 years ago, and much has changed in that time. Well, for Auckland school students at least, who find themselves visited by Māori Pacific students who are part of an innovative and successful mentoring scheme. That's all part of encouraging Māori and Pacific students into sciences, but also ensuring they actually get through their course of study by providing support from their peers, study groups, and an acknowledgement that there are other Māori and Pacific friendly ways of learning. And we've had our share of students appear in Tiahika. 
Remember Dave Hakaraya, the guy who designed the Man of the Match trophies at last year's Rugby World Cup? Now, he was part of a successful mentoring scheme at Victoria University. But back to Auckland University. It's been Professor Michael Walker who's really driven the tuakana mentoring. That's right, that's what it's called. A Māori concept, tuakana, has been given an academic makeover as such, though not really. A Māori concept has given academia a makeover. And in the process, educated what at times can be an unmoving institution. The Tuakana program at Auckland University has been going for the past 20 years. And I'm sure in that time you have seen a different type of Māori Pacific student coming through. Yeah, we've seen students coming through from Kohanga and Kurakaupapa. There haven't been too many of them, but there's certainly been some. The rest, by and large, are not hugely different from what we had 20 years ago. There's more coming from higher decile schools because there is a Māori middle class developing, but uh, there's a lot of students yet to come that I really want to see. So you're seeing Kuda kids coming through? Mm -hmm. I've had one as a summer student, as a research student for a summer, and she was very good, and people were really impressed with her. And they, they would have loved to have her as a graduate student, yeah. And are they making it all the way through, the yes. Kuda kids? Yes, they're, they're good. Yeah, no problems with all, at all with them, yeah. As much as said about Generation Y mm -hmm. and how self-absorbed and self-interested kids are these days? I'm not that impressed by, 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 by that. I find that... The, you know, the, by that labelling? By that labelling, no. Um, the, the students that I see, uh, you know, they're highly motivated, they're interested, um, they're very engaging, they're a lot of fun. Um, so no, I don't, uh, I don't see it that way at all. I think, that's, I think, I think every generation sees uh, the younger, you know, the self-absorbed. They're self-absorbed, and, self <laughs> and of course they are, because they're trying to figure, figure themselves out. And I, I have no quarrel with that. Are you finding that through the program that what you're actually doing is politicising these kids um, or making them a bit more conscious? Well, I, I've, I'm primarily interested in making sure, that it, ensuring that they achieve everything they can achieve um, and it's not really for me to politicise them, although of course um, if they ask me questions I will certainly answer them. Um, but I don't think it's helpful to them to... Um... But isn't university a politicising place? Or it should be? Um, but you still have to allow people the space to figure themselves out and where they, where they feel um, is right for them. So you can contribute to, the, to that discussion, but um, you, you, you must not um, impose your own views on them. <laughs> 20 years... So I'm guessing you're seeing students that are now, or that have been working in the world. Mm -hmm. So is this a lifetime commitment that you've made through the establishment of this program? I mean, do you yes, have a life, lifetime commitment to these absolutely. kids? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and no, they are the future. They are the future. And it's, you know, I enjoy having them come out of the woodwork whenever I happen to be in some place I don't know. Um, and someone appears out of the woodwork and comes and, <laughs> comes and introduces themselves, and and they um, you know, they are very 
strongly in support of what we do, and they want you know, they want to they do want they to, come back? Yeah, they want to be in touch with us. Um, we've had quite strong response to the idea of an alumni chapter um, for the for the for science at the University of Auckland um, because you know, they, they felt like it made a difference for them. Okay, so they leave, mm -hmm. you stay, mm -hmm. and in that 20 years, has the university shifted in terms of their views towards the program? Well, beginning with my own School of Biological Sciences, they have shifted hugely. When we began, we might have been getting one or two graduates a year. Now we get them in bunches. When the Tuakana program started, within six weeks, teachers of the first-year laboratories started to tell me that this was making a difference. And, you know, so within six weeks, we used to lose two-thirds of those students in the first month after enrolment. But when we got to the first assessment at uh, six weeks in, um, that they were doing well. And that uh, what we'd done was we'd made, achieved social attachment of the students to the university and to the discipline. And once they felt attached and connected and part of it and felt they belonged, then in fact they um, they really started to do well, and it was it really was thrilling. The uh, in that very first year, to we got a bunch of students into medicine, and um, which was will have made a lot of families happy, and uh, others who had um, come back out of the workforce uh, after they'd finished their degrees went all over the place, and they're not necessarily in science, but they're certainly making significant contributions as a consequence of their education. But within the actual university, mm -hmm. I'm sure you would have had to negotiate, uh, strategize. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but in truth, certainly within biological sciences, yes, there, were, there was the odd obnoxious comment, uh, both from students and from staff. But progressively, we developed an understanding of where that was coming from. And we have re we've developed rhetoric that completely neutralises it, and uh, because the truth is that everybody is winning from this, um, and the levels of competition are rising as a consequence of the Tuakana program, because effectively average average um, average grades go up, therefore everybody has to work harder. It's more competitive, but it's still friendly. The, you know, we used to get the special treatment um, uh, issue rising up, and people would, you know, other people um, in the stage one teaching would respond to that. The students themselves never, uh, never followed it through. Whereas for our students, they were getting more than just extra tutoring. They were actually getting um, uh, social support um, to support their learning. And that was what was important was was the extra social attachment that made it possible for them to stay and to thrive. So with students yeah. going through the program, yeah. are they engaging and developing a view, a Maori view of science? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they've all got different takes on it, but there are, there are those, for example, who've particularly recently gone in to do postgraduate study in... Um, Things like aquaculture, so that you know, so that's an economic focus to their interest because you know there's uh, all this reserved uh, quota for um, aquaculture, and so we've got one master student now, for example, who's working on um, 
oyster uh, mussels, uh, mussel aquaculture, and um, so that that's and her view is you know, she's looking to be associated with the Maori aquaculture industry. Um, and then there are others who um, uh, go into the um, you know, some of the some of the quote. You go into some of the um, more orthodox disciplines, um, and uh, um, they go ahead. They you know, so they they pre present a face into the in, into spaces where they can show that they can do it. They can they can do the job. You know, they can they can foot it in um, in leading edge science with sci leading edge scientists and. Um, and yet they've got this other dimension as well. And then um, we have others who, um, you could almost all call it going back to the mat, which is an old, old, old mm -hmm. expression. But uh, one of our first... Going back to the par. Mm. <laughs> well, one of, you know, one of, the, one of our um, mature students who came in early, um, he uh, has ended up at... Um, in a leadership role in the um, the sea company, uh, there's a there's a school up in Whangarei where they bring in boys from all of the schools there, and they they put them in um, this leadership academy. And this student who did a bachelor of science with us um, is playing a leading role in that, um, and he's you know, he's. Got a good staunch look, <laughs> and um, he's, he's brought those students to the university. Um, he brought a group of year nine students, 13, 14 year olds, um, <clears throat> took them to the marine lab, brought them down to the university, um, and showed them around and showed them, now this is what we expect, this is where you should be aiming. So, Professor Michael Walker, it's just a big fallacy that Māori aren't interested in science. Absolutely, um, but the problems are that um, we tend that there's a lot of them drop science when they go into level one, so year eleven. They tend to drop it after year ten, um, and I guess that's because um, it's been the most alienating subject, or one of the more alienating subjects. Um, because it does not, it has much less of a human dimension to its teaching. Um, because it's looking outwards at um, plants, animals, rocks um, that don't actually connect directly or easily um, in, in, you know, into an affinity um, with a subject when there isn't actually, um, you're not actually living with them. So uh, if you think about, for example, um, in um, pre-European times, then with Tāne Te Wānui, uh, and Tāne Whakapiripiri, <laughs> Tāne is everywhere, um, and that uh, you have affinity, therefore, with the trees and the birds, um, similarly with Tangaroa and the fish. But with the urban, Māori urban migration, that got, we got separated from that, and so it's... Um, not present and the presentation of it in teaching is alienating 
so that a lot of students wash out of science at Year 10. And the ones we get, um, we, um, we, we can overcome that for them, give them some belief in themselves and in what they're doing. Because it is still a privilege, isn't it, to get to university? You know, there's more of a Māori middle class. Mm-hmm. So does that mean universities are going to become even more exclusive for Māori who aren't in that middle class? Um, not if I can help it, because, in fact, failure to recruit from across all of the schools and to get the best and the brightest is um, a complete waste of human talent. And talent doesn't care about the colour of the skin or the shape of the face. Talent is um, genetic. Yeah, but sometimes talent can get hammered because you don't have money yes, all or of, circumstance. All of, that, all of those things are true. But there's only two young populations, Māori and Pacific. Therefore, Māori and Pacific people have to fill you know, the, the working professionals, the working uh, trades. All of, Māori, have to, Māori have to be moving into those because otherwise the economy will, go, will just get worse and worse. Kia ora, Professor Michael Walker, nō te here. And to listen again to that kōrero, you can head to radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika. We've seen the ads on TV and heard the phrase a number of times, don't think if, think when. The saying is, of course, referencing us all to be prepared in a natural disaster. Get your kits ready, bottled water, canned food, have a meeting with your flatmates, whānau, that sort of thing. But what about in the community? Where would you go if you were not physically able to stay in your house? Now, next time you take a walk around the neighbourhood, look out for the civil defence signs indicating that the school or community hall is an evacuation area. And then there's the marae. Last year, a few Christchurch earthquake evacuees were housed locally at Marae in Wellington, set up to house, feed, wash and clothe those people who in some cases only had the clothes they were wearing. Now, no one can predict the next natural disaster, but what some marae are determined to do is prepare for it. That took Justine out to Wainui o Mata Marae, where about two dozen marae representatives learnt how to set up their marae as a welfare centre, learning from the civil defence. Civil Defence and Marae, and how do those partnerships work in the event of an emergency? And Angie, is your name? Yes, hello. What's your role at Civil Defence? I'm a Senior Advisor, Emergency Management. And so basically what is the, what, what's the hui or the get-together about? Okay, so what I'm doing is I'm working with the Marae so that they can actually set up during an emergency situation um, to take in evacuees and um, just to kind of expand it a bit how they can work together with the other social agencies and volunteers and how we can look after the community together. So it's um, described as a welfare centre, which yes, I didn't it, really... Yeah, it is a welfare centre because we're looking after the welfare of the community and we're providing kind of like welfare and social um, services to those people who can't help themselves. Yeah. And um, you spoke, you did a presentation um, this morning. Just to kind of sum up everything, you talked about communications, you talked about catering, all those details that it takes to ensure um, a successful, smooth-running welfare centre in the event of something that's devastating for people. 
Yeah, and, um, and registration because, you know, people need to register. They come in. Um, we want to be able to make sure that they can reconnect with the community, that they've got access to other financial services, which they have to register. Um, we have information sections so that people can keep up to date on public information because that's so important to people. They can never get enough public information. And the social services, giving them access to, um, to trauma support or to financial services or to accommodation services. Um, uh, yeah, they're pretty much the fundamental services. And all those things that you've highlighted were very much a reality um, earlier, last year, in the event of the Christchurch earthquakes. Oh, absolutely. So we've had the Christchurch earthquakes where people have needed, you know, lots of services. So those welfare centres have been set up, followed by opening up recovery centres. Um, in Nelson last year, with the serious flooding that they had, we um, set oh, up welfare centres then, and again recovery centres. And we've had our own incidences in the Hutt Valley where we've had to set up welfare centres to support the community um, with those services. How important is the relationship between civil defence and local marae? Oh, it's extremely important. And um, I think that we're fortunate up here, we've always um, tried to get in there and, and work together and um, visited the Marae and talked with the Marae. And in Christchurch, it was it was very noticeable. Um, was it Ehua Marae down there that catered for the some of the Christchurch evacuees? Yeah, that's right. And um, I, I don't think there was the connection soon enough between civil defence and the Marae down right. there. And so what I'm trying to stress to our Marae up here is that if we don't get in touch with you, you make sure you get in touch with us. We're here to support you and what you do and to share information and resources. So yeah, it's, it gets busy, but make sure you get in touch because we're here for you as well. So right now I'm here with Bill Bill Rawiri and uh, Joe McLeod. Kia ora, Bill. Kia ora. Which marae do you represent? Uh, uh, Nahu e whao, Papa Rārangi, Papa Kainga. In Newlands? In Newlands, yeah. <laughs> and Joe McLeod, kia ora Joe. Kia ora. And which marae do you represent? Uh, marae tēne. That's in uh, Moira. Moira, Moira. Yeah. So, um, how do you think this kind of session will benefit both of your marae? I think it'll be absolutely priceless in terms of how we educate our whanau to help themselves, help the community, and at the drop of a hat, should the call come, we'll be ready. Yeah, That's and the goal. in particular, mm. uh, it's uh, appropriate that Joe is here because after the Christchurch. Um, emergency we had people who used to be around our area ask if they could stay at the Papakainga we said sure open the doors and first night was a few then 27 then 42 and it got too many in fact and the council said because we didn't have enough appropriate facilities that they went on to Kākanoa and so it was good that we were actually able to escort them over to Joe's Marae there. So you have like a network of that you communicate marae to marae in Wellington? Yes. Yeah. And in this particular case, because a lot of them were from Tuhoi, uh, you know, that's... And, and that's basically how this, this group was formed. And then Alma jumped in on the bank and said, hey guys, we need to do something for our people. And the outcome of that was the uh, the caring of our whanau from Christchurch. And also Kōkiri Marae, because when we took our 42 members over to their marae, uh, we kept coming to support them and uh, entertainment and the, the clothes that were dropped off. Uh, they'd either go there or to um, to Kākanoa. You know, so all the other marae, and it was from that meeting there that formed the basis for this. So we said, OK, why don't we have a coordinated marae approach? This is exactly what we're doing now, and this is the first day of the Train the Trainers. Hmm. So in the wake of the Christchurch earthquakes, as, as, as representatives of your marae, what 
what did you need that you didn't quite have that, that, that could have been improved, like welfare centres, uh, volunteers, numbers on the ground? We had the heart, the spirit, the aroha, but we didn't have the knowledge of the other things like we never thought perhaps of the pets and things like this, but we just did what was we thought was appropriate at the time. And it was lovely, however, now to have a more structured and organised facility, for example, radio frequencies, um, having the right forms available, the right access to people, um, coordinated responses is far, far better for us. Yeah. We were blessed with having the, the Lower Hutt City Council right at our doorstep. You know, and they just got us everything we needed. The food, though, yeah. the food just came from everywhere. Well, you know what our people are like. We just koha, koha, koha. And the council said, well, we'll match you guys. And they just koha as well. And they had a lot of food. And they didn't want to leave. But the housing um, ministry said, you guys got to leave. We've got to find you. And that's what we're here for. And uh, about a month, they were with us for a month and a bit before we got accommodation for everybody. Wow, they stayed at the Kākaro. that long, yes. They yeah, but they were with long. us for 10 days prior to that, so it was lovely. We're working very closely with Bill to bring his money up to any, anyhow we can, and the Kākaro is right there. Give back. Give back to <laughs> yeah, the other thing is that there's 10 marae, or 12 in our group here. We have a noho every month and look at things, but this is the first training noho per se, uh, but we've... We're now brought on, uh, Joe got in touch with Southern Hospitality, yeah, yeah. and they are providing the designer and engineer expertise um, about siting water tanks on Marae property and how to connect the gases and the different other facilities that will require, such as storage of diesel for the generators on each Marae when we don't have to then rely on the mains power. We're going to actually go through the process of setting up a big welfare centre, like a full scale welfare centre and then I'm going to get the people to do that and then we're also going to actually go around and people are going to work in their little sections and they're going to provide a little briefing back to us on what they do in their sections. Excellent, Angie from Civil Defence, thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Okay so right now welfare centre um, uh, is basically this kai here at Wainua Matamarai has been utilised as a welfare centre. So the Farekai has got all these um, notices on the wall, registration, information, message board, information, social services, catering. And they're setting up various tables. And you're wearing a yellow vest. Yes, yes, to say that, yeah. Which marae are you here from? I'm from Tatakua. And I also... Um, Where's that marae? It's on the Hut Road. It's the Hut Road in Batoni. It's one of the old. It's the oldest marae in Batoni. Te Tato o Te Po. Tato o Te Po, which is Taranaki. Tiatiawa. Yeah. Kapai. Do you think this type of um, hui is important to our marae? I, I think it is. I think it is, especially um, you know. Nowadays, we you know we we hold a lot more on the marae, but also. The people who come, a lot of them don't know, you know, and the, and it's it's an idea, it's a way of them learning, so they can also take it back to their home and put that into practice, you know, learning the different skills of um, civil defence. Yeah. And so we're doing a mock welfare centre, so people yeah. will come through that main door, and you're the very first person they see. Well, there's the lady there yes. who's going to greet them, okay, and then she's going to bring them over here, and I basically take their details. And yeah, and tell you know, 
fifties of different agencies around who could help them. So I just, I suppose, I just direct them to the different desks. Have you found the information handy? Yes, I have. Yes. Sure. From Wainui o Matamarai, Linda Olson. I'm Manus Marae. What's the name of the Farekai? Uh, Farekai Tupuna Te Ora. Tupuna Te Ora. Kapai. Farekai is Pukiatua. Oh, Pukiatua Marae. The name of the Marae is Wainui o Matamarae. Oh, choice. Well, thank so you. So we've been doing this for a few years now. Oh, not, yeah, we did, I think we did an exercise about four or five years ago. We've sort of had it in the plans for the past ten years, and we're very seriously about the registration Whenever we have groups come into our marae, we get that. We've got our own registration yep. form. Some people don't take it seriously, but we do. So that if there's a time of evacuation, we've got the list of who's on the premises, and that our evacuation process has been given to them when before they start participating. Up my Kilda, Kilda, Linda. Yeah. So, you know, the community of Wainui Omata, how many people, what's the population you live oh, here? Yeah, 17 to 18. 18,000 people but um, I think it's gone down a little bit due to the fact of people moving to Australia Yeah, and um, we have a resilience committee set up in the community where um, some of our members are active there to, to know so that we're not just doing this on our own yeah. but our practice is that we're completely isolated it's, we're not relying on anyone else outside the over the outside, but if if the, if the army's here at the time, or if there's people here at the time, well that's our luck. But we're um, we're practicing to be resilient, and we're practicing to be isolated yeah. from all around. But the right. beautiful thing about Wainamata, we've got hills, so if people are really desperate to get over the hill, they'll walk. They'll walk if it's a disaster. If if they survive, or if this building survives, we'll survive. Kapai, mm. yeah. awesome. But if we don't survive, well, there's always other survival areas like welfare centres that are, like the churches, I think they've been designated, the schools are designated, civil defence. Um, but our marae here, we're designated as a welfare centre. And we've done, yeah. We haven't had a, a real disaster. But, but hey, you're prepared yeah. for it. We're prepared and we won't be full guilty about not being, if anything happens, we're not got no guilt on our yeah. conscience. Mm. And this is a huge marae, the wharekai, I mean yeah. this is huge. So yes. the ability for this marae to cope with uh, in a disaster is, it's, it's got the space. Yeah, and and, and I, I think um, the building is um, solid. Um, like down, I think the Christchurch one is an example where the bricks weren't, what do you call it, they weren't called or weren't Reinforced. Or reinforced, well our, our bricks are reinforced. We know that, yeah, we know that for a fact. But I'm not saying it might crumble, it might crumble, we don't know. So, but we're prepared whether we crumble or not. So the first thing we're going to do when we do get in there is we, we have to sign in somehow, but one of the first things we'll do is we'll go and have a look at our checklist up on the board because that gives us all our steps of what we need to do. So um, we just start having a look at the board um, and it tells us step by step what to do. And then collectively, we all just help set up the um, centre together. Once we physically set it up, that's when we go through the process of um, allocating, getting tasks and roles and assignments to do. So we'll just physically set it up first. So we're just moving around the uh, welfare centre, the mock welfare centre, and we're at accommodation. Uh, kia ora, we're the accommodation table. It's a bit like housing. <laughs> you're, you're looking for something, 
You could call it out, they've got it, then you give it, you get a house. <laughs> <laughs> so they come in here, and our first thing really is to, before they get here, we would have gone to the different agencies and completed an accommodation <coughs> form, which unfortunately isn't in our pack, but the runner's gone to get it from the supervisor, so we'll get those down. And that's really saying, what is it that the individual or individual or the whānau or whatever, what is it they want? Meanwhile, we would have done a list from housing, corp, from the local motels, the marae, private accommodation, a whole lot of hosts of things, uh, motor camps and so on, that is available. And we'll also have people saying, look, I've got a spare room or I can take a couple at my place. So they come under the billets. We have temporary accommodation, and that may be where a family goes in for a short time. Maybe there's something from... Uh, people say, well, I was going to rent that house out or we're not using that one, we're doing it up and all those sort of things. So it really is, what do you want? It comes there and we match people together. That's pretty much what this desk, desk does. Um, and so if we had the form, I'm sure we would have been okay. So we just wrote up a couple of examples. Joe Bloggs come in, one is one room. Well, ideal for a billet. Okay, somebody can take one person. We had a, the Kayo family come in, two kids, uh, three, two adults, three kids. One, a house, where have we got? Housing New Zealand, of course, is the main one. And then we work through all the list of the other places that are available. Okay. Right? Another people that we thought about accommodation is the volunteers that come, where they're going to stay. So maybe in this case, they'd be on the marae here. So they're close by. So that sort of thing. So it's just a matter of what do you want, what have we got, matching them together, and moving on. Got it. Well, we're social services. And we're responsible to the centre supervisor. Uh, and, and our uh, brief really is to coordinate uh, the range of social services uh, that, that may have a need uh, for their services. Uh, agencies like uh, uh, Work and Income, Victim support, child youth and family, <coughs> social workers, counselling, interpreters, legal advice, etc., etc. They make their way here. We 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 first introduce them to the centre supervisor, and uh, we allocate the space for them and privacy, and and leave them to get on. Our, our role is just to coordinate that as as the clientele come in the door. We we've just refer them on. But we'll learn as we go. Kia ora. Kia we're the clothing department and um, we've, we've figured out that we're not just the clothing department. We do blankets and personal items for evacuees. We give <coughs> evacuees clothes when they need it and personal items. Um, we discuss their sizing. We give them somewhere to go to get changed or shower provide a bag for the dirty clothing, take the dirty clothing away, and it says here that dirty clothing will be destroyed later, unless otherwise arranged, and keep accurate records of incoming and outgoing stock. And so, so our, uh, our responsibility is the provision of clothing, blankets, and personal items to evacuees. And our boss is the centre supervisor. Kia ora.
So there we go. That is the Welfare Centre demonstration here at uh, Wainuio Matamarai with 12 marae representing various parts of the Wellington region. And uh, if you'd like to see pictures from the day, just head to radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika. I'm Justin Murray and you're listening to Tiahika. Kia ora koutou. We heard from Andrew Roger, Linda Olsen, Joe McLeod, Bill Rawiri and the rest of the participants at Wainuio Mata setting up a mock welfare centre. Now, for your nearest civil defence area, contact your council. We've posted up some useful links on our webpage as well, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. I'm Justin Murray. And I'm Maraya Rakraku, and this is Te Ahika. You're listening to the sound of Te Ahika with Justine Murray and Maraya Rakuraku. It's your boy, Taina. Ah, the 90s. What was your favourite part of that period, Justine? Hmm, would be Rotorua Girls High School years, clothes like Origin jeans and starter jackets, <laughs> dancing, a lot of good memories in the 1990s. What about you? The music. The music. Bobby Brown. CNC Music Factory. Snap. There were a few Māori artists that I remember, Mariah, on the scene that uh, at the time, and one of them was Marie Sheehan. Justin used her highly investigative journalistic skills, a.k.a. Google, which found her calling Hamilton. That's a $64,000 question. What have have you been up to? Have you had a family in that time? Um, I I have. I've I've had a family. I've I've travelled. I've I'm still been doing music. I've just been doing it in other um, avenues and forums. But yeah, a variety. And yeah, um, what else can I say? I've been doing. Um, finished my university degree, which I always wanted to complete, and I'm in the middle of doing my masters at the moment. So been been really busy. Yeah. In order to talk about the what you've been up to um, and what your future plans or goals or aspirations are, we'll go a little bit back to the past, to the 1990s, and and uh, your kind of um, yeah. Well, it was a bit of back an explosion back in the day. It was a bit yeah. of an explosion into the New Zealand music scene because you one you were different, two um, you had Te Reo Māori and incorporated within your music with that um, mainstream kind of feel to it. Mm. Musically, um, it, when you talk about being different, I, I've always um, w- I've always tried to find my own voice in, in my music when it comes to melodies and harmonies and, and writing lyrics and things like that. So that's always been a part of it. Um, in terms of doing, I, I suppose, the more um, upbeat, contemporary, popular music... Um, that was something that always interested me, and I, I always wanted to see how my music and lyrics would reflect in that kind of genre. Um, and then, as you say, back in the nineties, there was an explosion of of New Zealand yeah. artists, you know, on the scene, and especially, I suppose, what was important at that time when when it comes to looking at the real, was that there wasn't a lot of that in contemporary popular music and there were a variety of us at that time that were really pushing hard and pushing radio and television to mm. have bilingual if not terreal music um, on those sorts of mediums you know people like when you talk about it at that time my people that I were working the people that I was working with were people like you know Moana yes uh, Tiremona Rapley, yep. you've got Emma Paki, Mina Mohi, mm. yeah, Mina, um, and 
um, Upper Hutt Posse. Yeah. There were a lot. There were a lot of us that were, I suppose, taking up that challenge to have our language on mainstream, and it was important, important to us. And uh, your first single was was it Make You My Own? Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> and then I mean, that, didn't, that didn't have that didn't have Tereo. And the reason I laugh about that is because I love the music, but the video is hideous. I, <laughs> I try and I try and keep that way back in the closet. So you know? what was the? So I mean, I've been watching a few YouTube. How does that? Um, no, that's not the one where you buy the pool, is it? No, so I, I haven't put Make You My Own up on YouTube. Oh, I just think, oh, I'm just going to leave that one, you know. <laughs> it's going to stay in the 90s. The, the Waiata uh, Kiatu Mahia that featured um, Te Wakahuia, the Kapahaka group in that, was that your first sort of Te Reo Māori um, Waiata that you released? Yeah, it was. That was um, as my first, I suppose, creative go at um, being bilingual in, um, in the songs that I was writing. And, yeah, I, I just, because I'm not fluent in, in the real. I wanted to gradually get into having both, really, in my music and being able to um, create an audience that could listen to the music who were non-Māori speakers as well as Māori speakers. That's why like, kind of chose to have uh, the real in the choruses and English in my verses. So it... Um, and, you know, and it, it was kind of a really popular... A very very popular song it's I think what people know me by nowadays yeah 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 they may not know my name but if I play them the song they go oh yeah I know that song <laughs> <laughs> Past to the Present's my personal favourite and then that's the one that really reminds me of you back in the and you know back in me back in the day and that, t- yeah, that kind of era. Totally. What's your what's your kind of like your favourite song? I'd have to say that yeah. I mean, I really do like past the present. Um, it's it's one that's a real stayer. Yeah. And I think the the co-popper within that song is is something that never ages. You know, mm. it's for me the message in that song really reflected my tupuna and it really reflected about how I felt about my culture and. F- the importance for me as um, a young wahine knowing my roots hmm. has given me, gave me the strength to, um, I suppose, to be out in public, to know who I was, to form my identity. Um, and that's still, you know, it's still relevant nowadays. So, yeah, I think, and, and it, you know, it was one of my, I think, you know, it's always nice when um, one of your songs is popular. After I, after I finished my um, degree, which was in music and in English, I decided that, um, I'd always had a relationship with Te Arapautama at AUT, but I really wanted to formulate that relationship with them. And they were looking at expanding their Bachelor of, of Media, Māori Media, into sound and music and, and using some of the technologies to create um, tone and music 
and mood around pictures, basically. And I said that I absolutely wanted to be involved in that, and um, and hence really becoming a lecturer there. I, that, yeah, they sort of took me on board to really work with students, Māori students primarily, mm. and um, yeah, and and showing them what the technologies were to be able to create those sorts of soundscapes for their pictures. So I, re- I love it, love it, enjoy it. Within that, do you see, I mean, if you're dealing with prim- primarily Māori students, do you see um, the future of our Māori industry in terms of our, our, our Māori kids that are coming up, that are learning the ins and outs of music? Yeah, I suppose one of the things that I really like about um, being involved in that Māori media capacity is the fact that technology seems to... Hmm give you that kind of um, forum no matter no matter kind of what race you're from the skills in that uh, can be used worldwide you know like we're using things like logic and pro tools and those sorts of things that they're picking up as students um, you carry them forward into a professional you know, job in the future whether that's in New Zealand or whether that's out of New Zealand you've always kind of been involved with music for the last, well, for the last few years, if, if not 10 or so years, you've been involved in, in composing music or producing music for TV and film. Mm. That seems like a really interesting, or that seems like a logical step. It's not that I, you know, it's not that I'm, um, I, I don't enjoy still performing and writing yeah. music and anything like that, but it's just another, you know, I'm just diversifying my compositions. And um, I really, I get a real joy out of being able to set, music to a moving image it's uh, watching I suppose watching a picture and then being able to create a mood or a tone with the music that you put together with the pictures is is, I love I love that and yeah I mean it's not for everybody but it's something that that I really enjoy doing and I love I love working with um, television and film they're both different but you know, they all need music, and yeah, it's great. Is there any chance of a comeback? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting that you should say that, Justine. Really? It was actually, yes, it was very poignant that you should. Have I got the scoop? You have got the scoop. Awesome. You have. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm at the moment. I'm pre pre-producing my new album. Wow. And I'm going to the studio mid May to record my my new album, ten tracks. Um, a big thank you to Creative New Zealand here. Um, yeah, so yes, I will be releasing a new album this year. Oh, nice. So you heard it here first. Uh, yeah, you heard it first here on Tiahika. <laughs> How <Yoda>. many? <laughs> what's the in terms of the year? Like, I, I mean, I I hate kind of putting it in timeline stuff, but from yeah. your last album to to your, well, you know, to the album that yeah. you're about to be working on, what's the time period? Yes, about that. I would say about twelve years. Oh, exciting! Yeah, one one song per year, basically. Oh, all <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, one song per year that you've missed onto the new album. Yeah, right. So, can so you I'm t- really excited about that. Really, really excited about. Is it easier today, like in the year two, 2012, Is it easier to get some money behind you and record an album compared to what it was like in the 1990s? Yeah, it is. I think it's technology has a, a allowed many people to be able to go into, you know, studios and record, you know, and you can record at home as well. Um, it, it doesn't cost as much as it used to. So 
there's that. Um, I think with the internet and the you know online marketing and the YouTube and things like that, you've got another distribution platform that you never had in the past. So for independent artists, they've got a variety of different ways of being able to broadcast and um, distribute their music. They never used to be able to. So that's that's really positive. I suppose in, in wrapping up our corridor, Marie, I wanted to ask you, you know, when you look back on, when you look back at the YouTube videos and Ooh. even though making my own is not on YouTube, yeah. when you think of that era, the clothing, the hair, the braids, I mean, you know, what, I mean, do you look back and, I mean, what are some hard case kind of times or, or, or things that you think of when you look back to, to that era? Because everybody mm. was doing the it, The dance you know? moves. The dance moves. The sequence dance moves is what I crack up at. You know, I mean, I was never a dancer, and and yet um, you're influenced. You know, at that time, you've got you know Madonna and Janet Jackson and all that sort of stuff, and they've got big groups of dancers. And I try to incorporate that in a few of my videos, and I look back now and go, "Oh my God, what was I doing?" Um, and hairstyles, you know, uh, and and clothing. Sometimes I look back and I go, "I mean, I thought I was very cool at the time, but now I look back and I go, oh. Mind you, yep. braids, man. Everybody was rocking the braids, yeah, the extensions. Yeah, totally. yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's um, it's interesting when you know your niece and your nephew come and they go, oh yeah, have you heard this this song, Auntie? Or you know, I like these kind of this kind of fashion, Auntie. And I'm going, yeah, that, yeah. And I said that's already been done, honey. It was done in the eighties or nineties <laughs> or something like that. And um, yeah, things like that. Yeah. But I mean. I'm I'm still very proud of of the fact that um I did it you know um and and I got out there and believed in myself enough to put myself out there publicly um and yeah just like just like a lot of those other great Maori artists that that were rocking it in the 90s you know uh, Kia ora koutou i te taha tōku mātua tūpuna nō te kuiti ko roki titia Ko Ngāti Mania Poto Te Iwi, ko Ngāti Te Puta Te Hapu, ko Mōtiti Te Marae. I te taha tōku mātua tūpona, ko Huirau Emeria, ko Kakipuku Te Maunga, ko Waipā Te Awa, ko Tainui Te Waka, ko Unu Te Hapu, ko Te Kōpua Te Marae. I te taha tōku whāia tūpona, ko Rangi Awatea Pauru, ko Taupiri Te Maunga, ko Waikato Te Awa, ko Tainui Te Waka, ko Waikato Te Iwi, ko Wahipa Te Marae. Ko Mata Madri Roki tōku mama, ko Colin Sheehan tōku papa, he taui ia nō Leaston Waitaha ia, ko Marie Sheehan ahau. Kia ora, and we'll hear from Marie again when she drops her new album. Here she is with this week's Whakatauki. He ha te mea nui o te ao, he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. What is the most important thing? It's people, it's people, it's people. Uh, that whakatauki to me means that um, the most important things in life um, is your whānau, your friends and the people that love you. Kia ora. Next week we feature archival recordings of Peter Tapsell, who was buried at Makitsu. And carrying on with the series, Where Are They Now? I catch up with Medinia Gillies. He mihi tēnā ki ngā kai kōrero i tēnei wiki. Ki ngā kai rā wiki wiki mihini, ngā mihi. Hoki mai hei tērā rā tapu. Mai te whānau a te ahi kā ki a tātou katoa. Mauri ora.